Hey, what's happening, everybody? I'm Larry Roberts, and this is another episode of the Readily Random Podcast. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. I gotta tell you, it's it's hard to dance in front of somebody as cool as my guest today. I mean, you, you look at him, you go, man, this guy right here. He is the ultimate example of testosterone to the max. He is the cool. He's cooler than a fan, man. Cooler than a fan. That's one of my favorite sayings that I got back from a movie in the uh, in that was it in the nineties, maybe early nineties. Uh, New Jack City. I uh-huh. remember. I remember Nino Brown said he's cooler than a fan, man. He's cooler than a fan, and I have said that to this day. So, <laughs> anyways, <man. laughs> today I am joined by Justin Balloonside, and he is my part of Podmax. You know, this is the third Podmax event that I've been involved in, and this is the second guest of the day for the big Podmax event. So, Justin, thanks for taking this time, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, since last Podmax, I knew I wanted to be on your show, so um, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm really glad that you came back for a third go around, and I'm really glad they matched me up with you. Dude, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I'll yeah, tell you, yeah. man, if there is a PodMax event and I'm invited, I'm coming. I mean, that's just all there is to it. These mm-hmm. three times that I've been here, uh, granted, they're all virtual. doesn't matter. It doesn't even feel like a virtual event. It feels like a like we're hanging out, honestly. Mm-hmm. It really does. And Josh and Eric and Devin and Jacob behind the scenes there, man. Everybody goes out of their way to make this just a, an awesome event, and they succeed each and every time. So. But forget about them, man. Let's talk about you. <laughs> You're the guest, not them, right? So, right, Justin, right. man, I have seen you in the PodMax events before. We have become friends somewhat on Facebook, and we interact a little bit. But I still don't really know a whole lot about you. So what do you want to share with us today, man? Because I definitely want to, I want to dive into everything. I know certain things that I do want to touch base on. But I want to make sure you get your story and your message out to the people. Mm-hmm. So... What do you want to, to talk to us about today, man? Well, man, thanks for passing the mic. I, got, <laughs> I, I, f- I feel like I got, I got a lot to say. Yes. And so I love this platform. I grew up in a Navy family. I okay. traveled majority of my life. I ended in Seattle uh, or Seattle-ish area for the majority of my life through college. And then I got into hospitality and that brought me to New York City. It also brought a really bad drinking habit <laughs> and a couple other things along the way. And so about three and a half years ago, I decided to stop drinking. I decided to change my mindset or through sobriety, my mindset started to change. Mm-hmm. And I just begin to grab a hold of my life and, and really focus on me what makes me happy, where I want to be, my goals, where, you know, what have I been doing the last 10 or 15 years while I've been drinking pretty hard? And then it also allowed me to dive into some, some issues that I had tucked away for a long time that alcohol was a symptom of like sexual abuse and, and like perfectionism and like bullying and like, you know, my relationship with sex and with women you know, just so many things that I start to uncover that I think a lot of people start to uncover as they go through this discovery journey, which for me happened by by making the decision to be sober. 
You know, I, you and I, we share so much in that regard. My story is very, very similar. Uh, other than, the, than the, the military family, I came up in a poor neighborhood, a uh, very poor family. We were so poor. At one point, we lived in the back of the trailer park in the maintenance shed. It was a one-room place. We called it the Cracker Box. And, I mean, we lived in that environment for a couple of years. Grew up in a trailer park my whole life. Also experienced the sexual abuse and the impact that it has when at around 13 years old, standing in front of an entire room, an entire conference room filled with adults, lawyers, etc., and telling graphic details of what happened, and then seeing my biological father and his fourth wife only get probation out of the deal, which was a little frustrating on my part. But uh, there's some details there that makes it very difficult to, to make that claim as a male being sexually assaulted. They, uh, it's a lot harder to convince people that it actually happened especially at that age, because you know, mm -hmm. anyways, we're not going to get into the details of that. But the bottom line is I can t definitely relate in that arena. The same with the alcohol. You know, I drank heavily for about 10, 12 years, something like that, and was a, was a great functioning alcoholic for many of those years. Then it just kind of capitalized. And well, I, I fell off is, is about what it amounts to. And I hit that rock bottom. And it's kind of interesting that you know, I see that you hit that rock bottom. Now we both realize that life is a lot more than a bottle of whatever it is that our, our go-to drink was. Mine was gin. Now we're both searching the, following the entrepreneurial path. Our lives appear to be positive. They appear to be on the right track. We seem to be kicking ass and taking names. I, I love the fact that we can both relate to each other on, on that level. Mm -hmm. Now, at the same time, you didn't mention a whole lot about being an entrepreneur now. Is, is that something that was a direct result of getting sober or did this kind of just kind of come out of left field for you? Mm -hmm. No, this I think this came about as I got sober. The more sober I got, the more I realized I didn't I really didn't love the corporate structure. They really weren't going to give me you know, what I needed at my 401k, you know, I have lofty goals and, and I want to do lofty things in my life. I want to travel the world. I want to, you know, I want to do things. I want to make money when I sleep. You know, I had, I had like, I had some ideas of things that people were doing and this corporate life just wasn't working for me. And, and so as I got sober, I started really tackling that entrepreneur and really trying to change my mindset and, and really try to forget everything I know really try to dig down and, and say, listen, like you don't know it all. There's a lot more out there. There's that, that you can do and it's okay to be a man and, and say, you know what? I I'm educated and I'm smart and, and I'm not just a great athlete, which I am, but <laughs> <laughs> let's just face facts, uh, right? Let's just, just listen, call it like it is. Be man. Honest, I love athletics and, and I was an athlete. But I'm also, I'm also smart and I'm witty and I, and, and I can be a great businessman. So, so I went from a six-figure job as a director of banquets. I left and I went knocking door-to-door -door for door-to-door -door marketing business. Like, like you would have selling Verizon, selling makeup, selling, you know, door-to-door. -door. And a lot of people would say like, why would you do that? 
why would you do that? Like, why would you go down to door knocking? Why wouldn't you just like go do whatever? Well, as an entrepreneur, like that interaction and, and really at the time I didn't know it. It's really, I'm thinking about it, you know, now as what happened to me knocking door to door, selling makeup, selling Verizon, as I got to develop skills and I got to develop things, put myself in really uncomfortable positions, which I think is helping me now as far as just like finding my voice and, and being uncomfortable in different situations. So I think we, we can't grow in my personal opinion without being uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. if you're not willing to put yourself in those uncomfortable positions, you're, you're really going to stagnate. While I am definitely not an athlete, I always wanted to be one and I did my best to be one. <laughs> you know, I jumped into the karate scene and then I ended up doing a little kickboxing. Then I ended up doing a little MMA. And I'll tell you that I grew as an individual more during those years than probably any other time in my life. And it's because I put myself in uncomfortable positions. It's because I did things that I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm going to do what? Mm-hmm. When you ask that question of I'm going to do what, you know you're uncomfortable. But there's definitely going to be growth when you come out the other side. What's one of the most uncomfortable positions that you put yourself in where you saw the maximum growth as well when you came out the other side? I think it's sobriety. You know, I think that's a full 180. You know, there's no, listen, booze runs our world. Booze is everywhere. Drinking is socially acceptable on every level, no matter what, no matter what time of day, no matter what you're drinking. Okay. And I'm making a decision to be in this society and not partake in any of that and, and understand what it does to me when I drink. And so... I don't know how much more disruptive and yeah, just disruption to, to my routine. You know, I mean, everything that I did was based around from my work to getting ready to before the party, during the party, after the party, drinking at work because I'm happy because I'm sad because I'm this, because I'm that, you know, there's a reason to drink for everything, you know? And so how, how much more uncomfortable can you get? Then And then you got to deal with the people with, oh, you don't drink anymore? Oh, you don't mm-hmm. do that? Why don't you drink? Was it a problem? Like, I, I watched Jim Gaffigan's skit just the other day, and he, he was talking about him not drinking for a little while and how people have this fixation of, like, oh, you don't drink anymore? Like, was it a problem? Like, they don't say that about mayonnaise. Oh, my God, you don't eat mayonnaise? <laughs> is it a problem? <laughs> and, and it's so true. Like, why is, that, why is that even a question? Why does it matter? But I love that I'm, uh, I'm a voice against stigma, that I'm a product of addiction and coming out the other side. I'm a living testimony, as long as I stay sober, that you can do anything that you want, you know? Yeah, 100%. And it's kind of interesting, that stigma that you're talking about, because, you know, I never wanted to be that guy where you're sitting at the table with your friends and they're all ordering that round. And I go, no guys, I don't drink, you know, I couldn't handle it. And well, I'm sober now. And Oh, but don't, don't worry about it. You go ahead and you drink, you do your thing. Oh no, no, I'm fine. 
that guy sucks. That guy destroys the table, right? <laughs> so, I, but I, I it, it's hard not to be that guy because of the same reasons that you mentioned. It's everywhere. You know, I did comedy for a while. I did a little stand-up for a while. You mentioned Jim Gaffigan. And the thing that blew my mind, I took a course on how to, how to do stand-up comedy. And the comedy coach said this on multiple occasions. He said, comedy isn't your business. You don't make money being the comedian. You're in the booze business. Because you're there to sell drinks to those that are in the audience, that are in attendance. And if you don't sell enough booze, the clubs don't ask you back. And I got to thinking about, and this was post, I, I was sober taking this class, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, I, I don't know that I really appreciate that stance. They want you to say, hey, buy your booze, do this, do that, and help these people contribute to the very thing that destroyed my entire life, my entire being. You're looking at me right now. You're still a nice athlete with the athletic build. I'm fat as can be, bruh. I'm six <laughs> foot four and I weigh over 300 pounds. I'm huge. I didn't used to be this way until I got sober. The, all these stupid meds and all this garbage, you know, it just, it went, and I'm like, what is going on? I never thought this would ever, I have a tattoo on my stomach, right? It used to be this big. Now it's this big. It's, it's, it's the dumbest thing I can, and it's so messed up because I remember getting the tat. I'm laying there on the table and my friends are going, bro, you don't really want this on your stomach. I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm never going to get fat because I'm, I was 6'4 at buck 55. You know, I'm, I'm a bean pole. I'm like, getting fat's never going to be a problem. Like, <laughs> Tattoo guns are going. I'm like, this is going to be so cool. And it did. It looked kick ass on my, my abs, you know, because I was tan back then and I was yeah. strutting around, right? It looked kind of cool. Doesn't look cool anymore, bro. <laughs> they were right. <laughs> I got fat. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those things, though, man. But yeah, contributing to that environment is tough. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's hard. It's another battle within yourself that you have to fight because it's kind of awkward to go out there in that environment where everybody drinks for every little thing. It's funny you mentioned that, too, that, uh, you know, you always had a reason, whether it was celebratory or whether it was a, it was a bad day at the office or whatever it was. There's always a way to justify a drink. And I did that so many times attempting to get sober on my own. You know, I'd go a few days and not mm -hmm. have a drink. And then lo and behold, you know, I don't know, it's raining. Oh, it's such a depressing day. Just one drink's not going to be a big deal. And there it comes. And next thing you know, you're, you're slamming a 750 again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So how was it that you ended up getting help? Did you actually go to somewhere to get help? Did How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. So I went to a treatment center in Las Vegas, uh, out of all places. There's, there seems to be really good recovery in Las Vegas, <laughs> uh, which makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Sure. So I spent 45 days in Vegas. I spent about two weeks in like an inpatient, about seven days or so in detox, another seven days or so in inpatient. And then they kicked me over to outpatient, which I was at for the duration of my 45 days. And it all kind of added up right to, I came home on my birthday, I believe. Oh, wow. I came home on my birthday or the day before my birthday. I knew it was on one of those days, but that was a kind of cool birthday present. But yeah, did the whole treatment thing, you know, but I went, I went with the right mindset. I went 
wanting help. I went knowing I was going to pick up again. I went knowing that I was going to probably be there with a lot of immature people who were just forced to be there and I was going to have to get through that. You know, I knew I was going to have to give up my rights, my cell phone. You know, I knew I was going to get structure back. There's going to be a lot of things I couldn't do. You know, I knew, I knew those things, but I knew that there wasn't a way for me to, to get where I wanted to be and to get back on track, so to speak, than this, you know, I'm, you know, I'm an all in like kind of guy. So, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do something, I'm not going to half ass it. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. So I, you know, I made that decision. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't make that decision or can't or have to make that decision multiple times. You know, I got sober on the first shot and I'm saying that currently who knows what happens in, you know, in time, but if it's my way, I'll stay sober. And there's a lot of people who have to make that decision over and over again. And there's some people who don't come back. There's a lot of people who don't make that decision. You know, there's from my class uh, that came out of treatment at that 45 days, you know, a dozen of them are dead because mm-hmm. of relapse, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's real shit. And, and it's really sad that there's a stigma around it, around addiction, because there's really, really great people who struggle with this that just need a little bit of help. They just need a little bit of help, just a little bit of push but we, we don't see it that way as society in general as a whole. And so it's, it's tough to get help. It's tough to be vulnerable enough to say you don't know what the hell to do. So, yeah, well, and I commend you for that. You know, having the, the ability to make that recognition on your own and, and take the steps necessary to get the help that you needed is extremely commendable. In in my experience, I didn't do it till I thought I was going to die. I mean, literally die. I had camped out on the couch for probably two straight weeks and was just slamming, just every day, all day, shot, 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 shot. And the last three days or so, I didn't even eat. I had no food. I had nothing. Everything was just shots. And even though I knew I was going to throw it back up, uh, I would do a shot and then I'd throw that mm-hmm. up and then the next shot would stay down. So everything was cool. I was like, I know this one's going to come up, but it's okay. Yeah. Blah, blah. Yeah. And, and you're, yeah, you're yeah. like, what? You're justifying vomiting the first one back up. And folks, if you're listening, I apologize for the disgustingness, but that's the impact that it has. That's, that's how illogically you think in these environments. And to, to, to have the cognition to go, hey, I need some help is tremendous because I wish I had done it a lot sooner. Uh, things would have been a lot easier. You know, I think I did seven weeks inpatient, mm-hmm. three days, four days prior to that in the hospital because rehab couldn't even, the, 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 uh, the detox, they couldn't, they couldn't help me. I was too far gone. They had to send me to the hospital and uh, hang out there for three or four days. Then I came in, same thing, about a week's worth of detox and then about six weeks of intense inpatient action there. I, I can relate too to the, everybody that relapses. You know, relapsing is real. I'm very fortunate in that Justin, I share the same type of attitude that you have and that when I do something, I'm going to do it. It's just, it's done. I haven't had a beer. I haven't had a sip. I haven't, you know, whatever it may be. And I haven't been that guy whenever the opportunity presents itself. 
I don't say, hey, no, don't drink around me. That's mm-hmm. you, bro. That's you. That's your thing. If you want to drink, you drink. I'm not going to, but don't pressure me because we're going to have a hard time if you pressure me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tough. But if you have a good support system, and I wonder in that regard how that worked for you. Did you have a strong support system? Did they help you get through? Did you have contact on the outside while you were inpatient? Tell us more about that and how that got you through. Yeah. So I do, like they say, I took all the suggestions that were given to me were people that, that were doing it longer than me, which is just good advice no matter what you're doing, whether you're getting sober or you're playing sports. Sure. So I listened to them. I listened to people that were around me. I'm, I'm a transplant to New Jersey, so I didn't have, I don't have a bunch of tight friends out here. But funny enough, when I was in treatment in Vegas, I had three of my friends and it's funny how this works. Three of my friends happened to be passing through Vegas while I was in treatment in outpatient. So they were able to take me off, off campus essentially and go get burgers and hang out for the day. I could sign out. And so that was really cool. But yeah, I mean, having sober contacts, the rooms, the rooms were, that's, that was my new routine. That's what I knew when I came home. So I would go to meetings a lot because that was where I felt comfortable now at that point. You know, I had to find new routines when I came home. Everything I had before I had to throw out, you know, from the path that I took to walking to the subway to, you know, every, everything I had to change. You know, you're turning, if you're going to turn your life around, your, the routines that you go back to can't be the same. If nothing 100%. changes, nothing changes. So I had... The only routine I knew was meetings. And so I went to meetings and I, I tried to get a sponsor. You know, I, I got a bunch of phone numbers. I didn't always do the best job at contacting people or, you know, doing all those things. And, but I knew I was comfortable in the rooms and just knowing and being around other people that, that were dealing with the same thing helped a lot, you know, and I take some stuff from the meetings and I leave some stuff from the meetings, you know, but there, I'm not, I'm not going to go to a meeting and not get something out of it. And if I don't, it's my own fault. So, you know, I go to meetings a lot less now, but that's just not my program right now. My program for me is a lot different, you know, and I know that they're in my bag of tools and coping mechanisms. Should I ever need to be there? I know that I, I know where to find them. So, you know, but yeah, absolutely. Having sober support, having people around you that, that are going through it, have gone through it, you know, have more time than you, uh, it's just, it's important. Yeah, most definitely. And, and I can see that it's led you to an extremely positive space in your life right now. You've recently started a company. Let's get into that a little bit mm-hmm. and let's look at the brighter side of being an alcoholic. And after being an alcoholic, let's, let's look at some positive things here yeah. and talk about the company that you just started. Is it divine properties? Is that the name of it? Yeah, just divine properties. Just, just divine. divine. I missed the just. Yeah. Dang it. <laughs> so tell us yes. more about that. How'd that come about? Just came about because I was interested in real estate, really. Uh, I mean, me and Devin were both interested in it, didn't know much about it, knew it could be lucrative. Devin likes to watch all the rehab shows on TV, so she thought <laughs> she could do that. But I mean, that's great. I mean, it, we're doing it now. You know, we're, that was a dream of hers, and we're doing it now. So right now we're, we're rehabbing. We do big projects, big additions, big knockdowns, new construction type stuff. 
in Northern and Central New Jersey. And it's, it's just been, it's been a great experience, uh, another challenging experience like sobriety. And I think the mindset of people battling with addiction can be very similar to new entrepreneurs or, or established entrepreneurs and how they overcome and have to be resourceful and resilient and overcome obstacles and, and be creative. I mean, I held the most shameful secret of my life from everybody in my world when it came to drinking. And that takes creativity, that takes resources, that takes some dedication and discipline and all these things to keep that shameful secret from getting out, you know? And so I like to think that as an entrepreneur, the things that I've learned from the, from those experiences I can use as an entrepreneur in my mindset of, of being resourceful and being resilient and disciplined and, and overcoming and all these things. And so, you know, as, as an entrepreneur now, three and a half years or so, and, and getting into this podcast game, that's, you know, my next step, I think, is, is starting a podcast that is highlighting sobriety and the mindset of, of, uh, of sobriety and the mindset of an entrepreneur and how they can, can be parallel uh, in a lot of ways. That's extremely cool. And that's kind of how Readily Random started. You know, when I started mm -hmm. this podcast, it was for stories of survivors and stories of motivation and inspiration for those that have gone through trials and tribulations in their lives. And then it evolved into what it is today. And that's one of the cool things about podcasting, man, is that it can evolve and it does evolve over time. And if you look at that, it's kind of a metaphor for individuals that have become sober. You know, we've evolved, we've changed, and we continue to evolve over time. And we become, you know, when you first get out of rehab and you first get sober, you're not contributing a whole lot, whether it's mentally, emotionally, physically, you're just kind of, at least I was, I'm only speaking from my experience, is that I was just kind of there. You know, mm -hmm. I came out and I was under a little culture shock uh, of my own culture, you know, because mm -hmm. I didn't really know how to act. I didn't know how to interact. I didn't know how to just live a sober life. I had been drinking for so, so long. And then I was in this nice sheltered environment of the rehab facility where I was and coming back out, it was tough, but just like my show, I evolved through time and became stronger and was able to contribute and was able to change myself and the direction of my life. And man, a podcast is such a great way to do that because it gives you that vehicle that allows you to not only evolve over time, but it also allows you to keep track of that evolutionary process. You know, you can look back at episode one once you hit episode 50 and go, wow, this is not even remotely the same show that it was. It's still a phenomenal show, and it's probably even better now than it was. But it's not the same, and it's so fun to sit back there and look back at that process and see how you've grown over the years as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I love that. You know, I, I, the idea originally started as like a YouTube channel because I wanted to start documenting my 
my entrepreneurial journey and it, and if for nothing else, it was going to be for me to look back and, and see where I was mentally, physically, business-wise, you know, all these things and having, again, now tapped into podcasting, I think is, is just another great way. Yeah. Just I mean, and way. it's not like you don't have a ton of resources at your disposal, right? right I mean, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I got to ask though, just yeah. divine properties uh, is because I was giving that some thought just is probably uh you took that for justin and divine is more of so for devin is that right that's correct that's Look, correct i'm so freaking <laughs> yeah. sharp dude man he's, he's sharp like yeah i put some fun into that and i was like oh light bulb yeah oh that's cool though so yeah. now, now now you're also engaged to your business partner is that right i am engaged i am engaged engaged for quite some time now okay uh, but again was a decision that we made through my sobriety, actually, while I was while I was in treatment, I remember sitting with my therapist on a three way call with Devin and us making the decision to postpone our wedding. And so, you know, I think another great testament in a completely different angle is that you know we didn't have to rush into to marriage and and we're we're still flourishing and and it's probably better we didn't like we've. We've been able to to really dig down and figure out who we are, and and we're such such different people now than we were, you know, four or four and a half years ago when we got engaged. But making that decision when I was in treatment was another tough, tough decision to make. And then not only do you have to make it, you have to be okay with the person across from you that you're putting this date off for, you know. And I took it a little personal at first because. But I could understand why, you know, I, you know, why we were going to do it. And, and I'm glad we did, you know, we're, and it'll happen when it happens, you know, I'm, we're, I'm not going anywhere, you know, it's just a, it's just a piece of paper, but listen, it, you can do it. You know, my, I, I guess my, my message to those that are struggling with, with addiction and, and sobriety is that even I postponed a wedding, I was 50 some days sober. I just came home from, from treatment and my sister passes away from an overdose who was 29. I didn't drink through that. You know, I changed jobs. I left the city. I changed environments. I you know, all these, these things and I didn't drink. So, you know, it's possible. It's possible if you really want to. Yeah. There's there's, there's no doubt about it. But again, it goes back to your mental state and the commitment that you made to yourself not to do that. And that same mental state, I think, is what's going to make you so successful as an entrepreneur and a podcaster as well. Can you talk to me more about that mental state? Where do you find that strength? How, how do you look inside yourself and, and take that resolute stance of not only sobriety, but focus and determination and desire to succeed? Where do you get that? You know, I think some of it's just who you are. Some of it is just being really, really honest in myself and learning how to not give a shit about what you think of me. You know, I think uh, that is such a hard thing for me to do. So I appreciate you saying that, like, it seems easier, like you're, you know, whatever, but it's not like my thirst for validation from other people is, is real and it's tough. So caring about what you think of me is not an easy thing for me to let go. 
but I can't be truly me and in the moment and present if I care about what you're thinking of me. I just can't because then I'm trying to please you. I'm not trying to please me. So I have to learning how to be comfortable in myself, in my own skin, but that comes from work and digging and going back and, and that, that doesn't come right away. That, that comes over time and that comes with just being tired of suffering. You know, for me, it was tired of suffering. I knew I wasn't put on this world to suffer like I was and, and to be where I was. I knew there's a better way. I didn't know what it was. I didn't have the answer for it, but I knew that if I, if I could write the ship that, the, you know, the answers would come and things would start falling into place, which they have, you know, and every time I get into an anxious moment, I got to, I got to lean on past experiences of, of things working out, but it's not easy. It's, it's, it's something that it takes practice. It takes being uncomfortable a lot and it takes looking in the mirror a lot and saying, Larry, I don't care what the hell you think of me or this interview that I'm giving you right now, but I'm going to give you me <laughs> and not. And even when you make that face at me, you know, I, I need jerk for half a second. Like, ah, shit, did I say something wrong? <laughs> you know, but that's the, again, a stigma. That's something like we're, we're taught to care whatever the people think of us. And I can't be me if I'm worried about you all the time. Okay. I can tell you that is by far, by far the most difficult lesson for me to learn throughout my entire life. Every waking moment of my being, and even still some today, was to please others, was to get acceptance from others. And it was always overshadowing everything I did. You know, again, not the best athlete in the world, but I wanted to play sports in high school because that's what the cool kids do, right? So I come in my sophomore year and I'm, I'm, my parents wouldn't let me play sports. I was born with a birth defect that left me with an issue that if injured again, right, I had my chest reconstructed when I was four years old because I was born with a concave sternum and my sternum was growing in while my organs were growing out. Everything was crushing each other and I was going to eventually pass away because my heart couldn't beat, I couldn't breathe, etc. So they break all that up. They restructure me. They make me bigger, faster, stronger. And I was protected, very, very protected my entire life because of that fact. Couldn't do all the cool kids at all, uh, do all the things that all the cool boys could do and all the, you know, just average kids, wrestle, play, you know, all that good kind of stuff. So I come in my sophomore year. My parents finally allowed me to play basketball. And I was so bad <laughs> that the coach once yelled out, I had pulled down a rebound and I, Decided, ah, well, now I'm a point guard. So I dribbled it down the court and coach yells out, Larry, don't shoot the ball. Because he knew I was going <laughs> to miss, right? Because I couldn't shoot to yeah. save my life. But the whole thing was I wanted to please the team because hanging out and playing ball at the park or whatever, you know, it's who's the better ball player. And it never was Larry, but I wanted to be on par. So I'm just worried about, I got the rebound. It's smart if I pass it. Forget smart, right? This is this is the Larry show now. And I got pumped yeah. for it, you know, because I was so busy trying to please someone and going, this is my big moment, right? To shoot a basketball mm -hmm. and score two points that, again, I didn't even think about playing the game. I thought about pleasing my friends. And that's just one example of thousands that I could give you of me attempting to please others 
in athletic endeavors or, or anything, anything, even podcasting. You know, what if somebody hears my show and goes, dude, you freaking suck. And I'm sure that happens all the time. I'm sure it's happened all the time. And I'm sure it will continue to happen all of the time. But the thing is, you know what? You never suck at something if you don't do it. Yep. You're still ahead of the game of those that want to do it when you don't do it. So, Justin, I'm right there with you, man, where you go, look, guess what? I don't give two shits what you think about me or what your opinion is of what I'm doing. I'm doing it, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And just with that, being genuine, being yourself, and being true to yourself is what will take you to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that 100%. 100%. And I think that the smart ones, those who are successful, can see through the ingenuity. You know, the folks that, that are doing it the way you want to do it, they can see when you're not being authentic. Sure. Uh, and, when, and, and that you can't hide that forever. You might be able to hide it f- from some people sometimes, but there's going to come a time where you come across somebody who's smarter than you and, and who can see through that. And so, and then that just starts a whole stem of, you know, lies and, and expectations. And it's just a whole nother shit storm. A hundred percent, dude. And, yeah. and you just don't see the, the, the success that you'll see being your genuine self. When I first started doing the readily random podcast, I wanted to be super pro. So what did I do? I found somebody that was kicking ass in podcasting and making all this money podcasting. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to be that person. So I took their questions, which they put on their website, and I tried to emulate that person. And guess what? My show sucked. Mm-hmm. It sucked. <laughs> and you know, then I look back and I go, you know what, Larry? Let, let's, let's look at what you did. You took this dude's example. You followed it to the T. You sounded very robotic. And let's be honest. Do you even listen to that dude's show? (laughs) And the fact (laughs) of the matter is, no, I don't listen to his show because I don't even like his show. But I saw that he was supposedly making all this money, and I'm sure he is. He's a big timer in the podcast space. But I'm not that person, and I can't be that person. You know who I can be? I can be Larry. And that's the only person that I can be. And for everyone listening, whoever you are, you can only be you. And if you are you, you'll find success like you've never experienced it before. Absolutely. But it's not an easy journey, you know. Finding out who you really are, finding out who you really are, like be ready when you answer that question, when you ask that question. You know what I'm saying? Like be ready when you ask that question because. There's some things tucked away that you didn't even know were there, you know, that you're going to have to, you're going to have to be responsible for that maybe you weren't responsible for, or didn't think you were responsible for in the past. So right on. You know, it's, it's a great, it's a great discovery of, of yourself, but it's not going to be an easy one. You know, it's, this is not, nothing good comes easy, you know? Yeah, exactly. You, you need to be uncomfortable to see that growth. Well, Justin, man, we got to wrap this thing up. We're getting the messages from the PodMax crew going, you guys have five minutes, shut her down. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to shut her down. But man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you uh, wanting to be on my show and joining me on this show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I honestly feel like we could have conversations for hours on end. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. we, we could do a JRE if we wanted to. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but I'll need, I'll need to have you back and we need to dig into some other things and, uh, 
and maybe have something a little more uplifting. Uh, not that this was a bad episode by any means. Yeah. We we got real serious, is what I mean. Yeah, maybe yeah, we'll, yeah. maybe we'll just go have a little fun on the next one yeah. and then have a good yeah, time. Absolutely. There, so. Anyhow, cool, man. I, go ahead, Justin. I look for looking forward to it, man. Whatever you got, I'm readily random. You know what's funny? The I'm always I'm always the guy that people say. Man, you know so much random shit, and so I love that. I love it, and I'm 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 down to get into whatever because I I might have some random shit up in my brain that I could I could leave you with. Let's do it, brother. We'll do it again. Yeah. I promise. All right, okay. man. <laughs> See ya. See ya.